Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Chan and welcome to the second episode of Genesis as we embark today on chapter 2. But before we begin, let us start with a video clip. And so, enjoy this clip and we'll be right back. Hide? You're denying my claim? I don't understand. I have full coverage. I'm sorry, Mrs. Hoganson, but our liability is spelled out in paragraph 17. It states I clearly. I pay for this. Excuse me. Claims, Bob Parr. I'm calling to celebrate a momentous occasion. We are now officially moved in. Yeah, well, that's great, honey. And the last three years don't count because... Because I finally unpacked the last box. Now it's official. Ha, ha, ha. Why do we have so much junk? Listen, honey, I've got a quiet... Say no more. Go save the world one policy at a time, honey. Oh, I gotta go pick up the kids from school. See you tonight. Bye, honey. Excuse me. Where were we? I'm on a fixed income. And if you can't help me, I don't know what I'll do. Well, welcome back. In chapter one, we learned that creation was created for Shabbat, to give life, to enable, to flourish, and live fully. Shabbat is where life can be fruitful and bountiful. Shabbat has no darkness, irrelevance, or chaos. In contrast to the ancient Near East stories that the author was accustomed to, and after he experienced God's grace, mercy, and love for him, the author understood that creation, including himself, was created to be loved and blessed by God. Not because of some competition, not because the gods were too lazy to do their own chores, and not because of jealousy or war. He and creation was created because God wanted to love them. The author and all of creation were created to be loved and blessed by God, and in turn, love and bless all creation, that's Shabbat, the pinnacle of creation. Therefore, Shabbat is much more than just a day where we do nothing, sleep in and watch football. Shabbat is a state of being, a culmination, the ideal that God intended. Shabbat is a human condition of what we call fullness. If our Sundays are devoted for Shabbat, then it is devoted for fullness. And in order to receive fullness, it is required to be in the presence of God. And hence, we separate one day of the week for Shabbat to culminate our work and be in the presence of God. And now we move on to chapter 2 in light of chapter 1. If Shabbat is the culmination of God's work, and we too need to see Shabbat as a culmination of our work, then really, the question for today would be, what's work? So before we begin with chapter 2, we have to go back to chapter 1. In the beginning, God worked, and by the way, he's still working, as noted by Jesus in John, where, John's, where Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I am working. When God was working in Genesis chapter 1, i.e. creating things, he saw everything that he did was good. If you recall, almost every time God finished doing something, God said what he did was good. So right in the beginning, right in the beginning, the author noted that God saw his work as good and he found delight and joy in doing his work, which is completely contrary to the gods that the author was taught, since all the ancient Near East gods were pretty much lazy and hence they created humans to do their chores and dirty work. 
But our God, the author's God, worked and found delight and found joy in doing it. So immediately, we got our first glimpse of, work, of what work was supposed to be. Work was created by God, for God himself did work, and work brought joy, delight, and goodness, not only extrinsically, but also intrinsically. When we read the first three and a half verses of chapter two, we get that sense of God, like an artist who just finished a painting, stepping a few steps back and say to himself, yeah, man, this looks awesome. You know, I get that too, sort of like me. After I roast a nice prime rib to utmost perfection, I would step back, take a look at my prime rib and say, yeah, man, this looks awesome. Notice that should be the feeling we get in Shabbat. We should get that feeling in Shabbat, shouldn't we not? You know, when we could look back at our work week and say, yeah, that was good. Here, this is what I mean. Let's take a look at those verses. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 4a. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. You get that feeling, right? You get that sense of God stepping back, taking a deep breath, taking a look at all the stuff that he created and say, yeah, man, this is awesome. And now we begin with the remaining verses of chapter two. Genesis chapter two, verse 4b to seven. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Interestingly, the author does a nice poetic pivot. In the beginning of chapter 1, the author said, Heavens and the earth. And now the author begins with the reverse, the earth and the heavens, which means that there's a different focus of attention here, a focus on the earth, which we will later see earth is humanity's domain. We also notice that the author now gives God another name, the name of Yahweh in addition to Elohim. Elohim in Hebrew is for the one true God, while Yahweh also the name of God, is used in covenant context. And since this author wrote Genesis during the time of the Israelites wandering in the desert, i.e. Exodus, it's no surprise, and it's clear, that he came to know this name because God used this name for himself when he made his covenant with his people. What does this all mean? And how is this related to work? Well, number one, Work has something to do with humanity's domain, which is earth. But it also involves a covenantal relationship between humanity and God. 
Remember this because the author works quickly to expand on this. So I'll repeat it again. Work has something to do with humanity's domain, which is Earth, but it also involves a covenantal relationship between humanity and God. All right. The author then proceeds in describing this Earth. Quote, no bush of the field, no small plant had yet sprung up. End quote. Bruce Walkie, in his Genesis commentary, says this, that in Hebrew, this is commonly read as the absence of edible vegetation, i.e. there was nothing edible at the moment because nothing was cultivated, for there was no man to work the ground, and God has not caused rain. Quickly, remember what I said? The author expands on the covenantal characteristic of work, that there is a mutual connection between God's work and humanity's work. God provides rain while humanity subdues and works on the creation to make it useful, i.e. to be fruitful and multiply. And another interesting point, the Hebrew word for man is Adam, and the Hebrew word for ground is Adama, which means that the author is telling us, the reader, that really, our true place in the cosmos is on earth, not heaven, earth. We are earthly creatures, and our place is on earth. It's where we live. It's where we flourish. It's where we find joy. It's where we find delight. And most importantly, earth is where we find communion with God. The author also noted that God breathed into humanity, which John Walton, in his commentary, says that not only is God giving life into humanity, but for the author, being versed in ancient Near East creation stories, God is giving humanity a divine connection between himself and humanity, enabling humanity to become, in Hebrew, a living soul, which again expands a little bit more on the covenantal relationship between humanity and God. So, thus far then, here's what we know what work was intended to be. Work is to bring joy and delight, and it involves working with creation in light of a covenantal relationship with God. Let's move on to verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first in the Pishon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stones are there too. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man, again, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We will come back to the two trees, but for now, let's take a look at the two bookends in this passage where God put the man in the garden, twice. Twice the author mentions that Yahweh Elohim took man and put him in the garden of Eden, which means these two bookends provide the context for reading the remaining passages in the middle. So what is the context, you ask, and what does that have to do with work? Well. To begin, let's see what garden really means in Hebrew. Bruce Walkie says that 
The garden is from the Hebrew root word gan, meaning to be enclosed, fenced off, protected. Garden probably denotes an enclosed, protected area where the flora flourishes. It represents territorial space in the created order where God invites human beings to enjoy bliss and harmony between themselves and God, one another, animals, and the land. God is uniquely present here. The Garden of Eden is a temple garden represented later in the tabernacle. When God put the man, it means God's placement of the man in the garden suggests that humanity is meant for fellowship in the garden with God, its creator and gardener. End quote. This coincides with what we already know about work, that work operates in light of our covenantal relationship with God. John Walton follows this up with this comment, quote, humanity was given a priestly function, which involved maintaining the status of sacred space, i.e. the garden, and providing for the proper worship and obedience to God's requirements. Notice that the garden was separated from the rest of the creation. As we discussed in chapter 1, when God separates something, he does it for a good purpose, but also it means to make that something holy. Therefore, the garden is a holy space where humanity can experience God's presence, where God provides for humanity and where humanity can work and create things that are fruitful and find fulfillment. That's the covenantal relationship of work. But we also find the purpose of work in this passage, right? Work is to maintain the status of sacred space and making sure that everything it does and everything it touches provides proper worship and obedience to God's requirements. In other words, work is to maintain holiness and the covenantal relationship with God. Humanity was told to not only work it, but to keep it at the same time, meaning whatever we do, Whatever we do, we need to ensure that what we do and everything we touch and work on remains holy, sacred, worship, and obedience to God's requirements. Yes, that includes if you're a lawyer, it should remain holy, sacred, and worshipful and obedient to God. Whether you're an accountant, it should remain holy, sacred, worshipful, and obedient to God. Whether you're a chef, whether you're uh, disposable, like disposing garbage, whether you're uh, a dentist, whatever you do, wherever you are, wherever God has placed you, whatever you do needs to remain holy, sacred, worship, and obedience to God's requirements. That's the context and criteria that all work operates within. Therefore, what does this proper worship and obedience to God look like? Because that seems to be the major criteria. What does this proper worship and obedience to God look like when we work? We now move into the two trees. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now before we move into the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I must say the author intentionally mentioned the tree of life first. What is he trying to tell us in this subtle yet significant gesture? Bruce Walkie says this about why the author mentioned the tree of life first. Quote, God gives the humans the potential for life in its highest potency, representing life that transcends the natural. End quote. 
God desires us to reach life to its fullest. We have to remind ourselves of that. That whatever we do, wherever God places us, He wants us through our work to take one step closer to transcend the natural. If I can use myself as an example, whatever I do for work, let's say one of my past career positions was a store manager. When I'm a store manager, God intended it to enable me to take further steps in realizing my full, true God-given potential as Jonathan Chan. As the author mentioned countless of times already to drive the most important principle in this chapter is that work was intended to give life not only to others, but also to ourselves. However, knowing that the state of humanity around him, and not just by looking around himself, and we, let's take a look at around our, ourselves today, the author knew that something went wrong. Humanity didn't choose that route, did they? Humanity used work for something else. And what was it? It was power. Let's move on. You probably heard the old saying, knowledge is power. Well, this holds true even in the ancient times. The author emphasized this tree with the word knowledge. And that is because in ancient Near East and probably today, knowledge has always been a commodity to acquire more power. Just look at all the ancient libraries and even today where we use knowledge to dehumanize or discredit someone. And whoever has control and power to decide what is right and wrong, good and evil, that person has power over others. All along, it was God who determined what was good during creation. During creation, God was the one who decided what was good. But why did God put a tree and told humanity, no touchy? Why did he give humanity this choice? This choice to obtain power that makes humanity have the same authority as God? Because of the covenantal relationship. When two parties enter into a covenant, they choose to enter into it by foregoing all other options. They are not forced into the covenant, or that would be extortion. If they were forced, then the genuineness and the authenticity of the covenant is questionable. The whole relationship is actually questionable. If I force my wife to marry me, that relationship is questionable. The authenticity of her choosing me is questionable. But if I knew that there were 11 other men in line and that she chose me above the as opposed to the 11 other men, I knew that our relationship was a little bit more authentic. However, God then wanted an authentic and genuine relationship with humanity. And hence, he gave them a choice to choose life where there's life has everything that they need as noted by all the trees giving good fruit that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. They could have chose that or to choose more power and telling God that we're not satisfied and we don't trust that you have our best interests and want to decide for ourselves what is good for us. Coincidentally, just look around. This is what happens when humanity decides what is good for themselves. So back to the context of work. Work is in the context of a covenantal relationship with God, meaning we allow God to be God, trust that he provides for all our needs, trust that he has our best in mind, trust that he loves us very much and wants to bless us and take pleasure in seeing us flourish while we fulfill our role to work on creation, 
to produce life and protect it from evil, to keep it sacred and for the purpose of worship and obedience to God. We trust God and have faith in him for the reins and determine for us what is right and wrong. What we need to do is to protect whatever it is we do from evil, i.e. away from being disobedient to God and keep it holy and sacred. That's the covenantal relationship that our work operates in. And hopefully we genuinely choose full life as opposed to power. For we know what that results, right? When humanity chooses power over life, just take a look at Hitler, Mao Zedong, Mussolini, Stalin, corruption within companies. All these entities wanted power, thinking that they determined what was right and wrong. Look at the death they have caused, and not only physical pain and suffering, but absolute chaos. It's almost like when humanity chooses power, creation goes on the reverse and goes back to the chaotic void in the beginning where God was present, but not fellowshipping with creation, not connected with creation. In other words, when we choose power, we are basically rejecting God's covenant, rejecting God himself, and telling God we're striking it out on our own. Let's move on. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last, this at last, sorry, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When God breathed into man or humanity, he gave the small part of himself to humanity, which makes humanity distinct from the rest of all creatures. This is a common theme throughout ancient Near East creation stories of the origins of humankind. But unlike the ancient Near East stories where humanity was created to be slaves for the gods, this author, having experienced God's love, grace, and mercy, saw his God differently. Instead of making humanity as slaves, God gave humanity authority over creation. And one of those authorities is to give names to creation, which is something only deities have the right to do. And so, what does this say about our work? Our work is connected with God's work. Our work should follow the same purpose as God's work, and that is to give life, give clarity, give order, and make things useful and fruitful, worshipful, and obedient to God. Yet there's more, isn't there? That's not, just, that's not really the true focus in this segment here in this passage, because there's a huge therefore at the end of this passage where it says, quote, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and there shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What does that have to do with work, you ask? Well, God said that it is not good for us to be alone. Work is a community effort. We can't work alone. Now, all my commentaries 
alluded to marriage with this passage, and they're completely right to do so. And in fact, some of you, including myself, may have heard this passage quoted at a wedding. However, what does this have to do with work? Well, in the context of work, what else can we glean from this passage? Well, here are some things that I would leave with you. First, when we work, we need to understand that whatever we do affects at least one other person, and therefore we are obligated to be proactive and know the consequences of our actions ahead of time. Just like a husband and a wife relationship, it's not just one spouse that gets affected by the action. Both do. See, if one acts, both acts. That's why they are one flesh. Second point. You've probably heard this the umpteenth time, especially during COVID-19. This quote, we are in this together. Well, regardless whether our colleagues are Christian or not, this holds true too at work. We are in this together, using our work to give life and to keep whatever we're doing holy, sacred, and as a worship and obedience to God. We are, how the Old Testament describes, priests in God's sacred place, which is earth. And lastly, when we work, we need to see each other as equals. Matthew Henry said the woman is, quote, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved, end quote. The same way we should see every human being. The ancient Near East and even in some countries today still exploit other human beings because of some cultural distinction, such as caste systems. When we connect our work with gods, our coworkers, our bosses, our friends, every human being, even those who do not believe in the same things we do, may not be convicted with the same things that we do have, may not have the same moral compasses as we do, all human beings, every one of them, is our equal. We work side by side for the goal of creating life and protecting our work and our space, which we call earth, sacred and holy, pleasing to God. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining me in another episode of Genesis as we just took a long journey through chapter 2. Thank you for lasting this long. I truly appreciate it. Till next time. Have a wonderful week.